You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. This is Paulette Perhatch, and you're listening to the Earn and Invest Podcast. I have no snappy story to introduce this episode, no personal experience that will suffice. Just the knowledge that many of you out there have pondered the idea of being a freelance writer. Whether the topic is money or what else interests you, we dream of seeing our name in the byline. Yet, how we get there often seems opaque. To go from writing about a topic you are interested in to being paid for it or having your article published is quite a leap. And dare to say, there are even some people who make a living at it. What are their secrets? How can you become one of them. Well, today we invite Paulette Perhatch, the creator of the Powerhouse Writers Program, to discuss just that. Paulette Perhatch's writing has been published in the New York Times, Vox, L, Slate, Cosmopolitan, Glamour, and Mary Claire, to name a few. She's the author of Two Million Reader Viral Essays. Her book, Welcome to the Writer's Life, was published in 2018 by Sasquatch Books, part of the Penguin Random House publishing family, and was selected as one of Poets and Writers' Best Books for Writers. Paulette Perhatch, welcome to Earn and Invest. Let's start with the basics here. Everyone wants to know, is working as a freelance writer a good way to make a living? Hi. Yes, I think so. It's what I'm choosing to do with my life. And... A good way to make a living. I think it's a great way to make a life. Explain that. To me, it's, you know, we sometimes have the singular metric of your income, which you can do wonderful six-figure incomes as a freelance writer. To me, I like to think about the freedom that I get as well, the joy of the people I get to talk to, the excitement of what it feels like to get an acceptance from the New York Times, the ups and downs, and just the feeling, I feel really alive. And I feel in control of how much I make. And I do a lot of creative writing. I'm a creative writer who also does freelance writing. And I kind of have this matrix of how I decide why I do a certain project. And sometimes it's just because I love it. And sometimes it's like, this is great money. And sometimes it's in between. Mostly, I think about making the life that I want to live. So let me get this out of the way. And I want to state this clearly, although you said it already. So you can make six figures freelance writing. This is a common thing? A common thing. Hmm. It's like, well, it depends on your goals, right? I just listened to a 
a class with a woman who made $200,000 freelance writing, but she works her butt off. And I don't start my actual writing day until about 10 a.m. I'm actually like working. Um, and I work till about four or five usually. And, you know, for me, I have a big mix and I love that too, where I do a lot of different kinds of projects. It kind of feels like when you were in school and you're like, now it's time to go to geometry. Now it's time to go to art class. Like that's kind of how my life feels. I do a lot of different kinds of projects. And so I choose to do a lot. I'm a big traveler. You know, I, to me, it's not just about like how much money I make with just the writing which is about 50K for me, but I'm also designing a piece of software. Just my writing is about 50K a year. I feel absolutely confident I can be making, my business makes six figures, but the writing part is about 50K a year for me. So let's talk about how you ended up here. Did you dream of being a writer when you were young? And does that equate to freelance writing? Because I feel like young people (laughs) probably don't even know what freelance writing is. Yeah, I didn't either. Yes, I told my best friend at the bus stop when we were in fifth grade that I wanted to be a writer. And she said, do you have any idea how hard that is? And I did not. And she was right. And so I didn't know about business at all or freelancing until I had an article on money go viral. It was really a creative essay. And this kind of introduced me to so many people in the personal finance industry. And I found myself in these rooms with women, many of whom were writers and entrepreneurs. And I'd never heard writers talk about money the way they talked about money. And I'd never heard women talk about money the way they talked about money. And they taught me so much about marketing and about branding and really treating yourself as a business and understanding the value they that you bring. So what I do now is like report back to writers about it. It's so funny that my career straddles these two worlds because they're so different, (laughs) but they really do have so much in common and writers could be earning so much more if they understood the basics of business. When I listen to you talk about this, I think a lot about entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. When you started in writing, did you think you'd end up working for yourself or did you have this dream that you were going to either go to a newspaper or magazine or, or, or write for someone else? Yeah, I thought I would do the newspaper route. I did that for three years. And it was so funny. I just, I was writing a story for the New York Times. I got to interview uh, Daniel Pink and Robert Cialdini, two business writers I love. And I was really excited. And I was like, I was like, I love being a writer. And she's like, oh my God, you used to complain about it all the time, being a reporter. (laughs) And I was like, really? And she's like, yeah, because I hated doing city council meetings and school board meetings. And I wanted to write about what I want to write about. So freelancing is kind of my way of doing that, of being fully in control of the projects that I do and don't do. But the industry has changed so much that I've really had to ride that wave throughout my career. What do you mean the industry has changed so much? Oh, my gosh. I mean, the the rates that we're often getting now for magazines, people were getting in the 90s. A dollar a word was a rate hmm. you could get in the 90s, and now it's a good rate to this day. So there's a lot less work and in in traditional magazine and newspaper work. And so a lot of people, because the full-time jobs can be so, you know, there's a lot of layoffs and things like that, people make sure that they can be in control of how much they make and the kind of clients that they have by running their own business and not just relying on one source. And that's kind of how I diversify um, and do risk mitigation with my career. 
As you were mentioning how things have changed and the rates are are comparable to many, many years ago, I start thinking about this idea of competition. Now, you run a powerhouse writers program. This helps people learn how to freelance, how to establish a career in writing. Do most people come to freelancing with advanced experience? Are they writers by nature or these people who are interested in certain fields and become experts maybe in other things and then eventually start writing about them? I think it's both. I've really seen a split. You know, someone who says, okay, I just, one of my coaching clients is uh, a, he was, you know, worked in finance for 15 years and then he wanted to be a writer. So now he's a freelance personal finance writer and he has great experience to draw on. I teach at a university and one of my students is double majoring in anthropology and writing. And I'm like, that's great to bring that experience, you know? And then some people are great writers and they feel in a kind of imposter syndrome because they're like, well, I'm not an expert on anything. But really writers, our job is to, it's not to know the information, it's to gather the information and to present it and communicate it. So it's totally fine to not be an expert at anything. I don't, I'm not sure I'm an expert in one particular thing, Um, but it's important to be able to communicate well. Now, if I'm correct, though, you do have an MFA, right? So you have some education surrounding how to be a writer. Is that something that's necessary for other people? Well, I did three semesters of my MFA. And then once my book went or my article went viral, I got a book deal. And then I just went the independent route. And I didn't learn anything about being a freelance writer. I was getting my fiction MFA and they do not teach business in the MFA at all. And so this definitely kind of fills in that gap. And so you don't necessarily, if you're interested in being a freelance writer, you don't have to have some kind of writing degree. That's what I'm kind of gleaning from. Oh yeah, absolutely not. (laughs) It is not a requirement. No. Let's talk about the being a freelance writer, how important the writing itself is Is this something that you have to be innately able to do, or is it fairly easy to learn if you're interested? I think it's fairly easy to learn the basics. I mean, there's just, you know, the thing that's hard is the art of writing. And that is the mountain we're all kind of climbing in the mornings or the evenings or the weekends and reading and and pushing ourselves toward that, right? That's my creative work. But writing a white paper that's not hard. You know, it's it's a formula, it's research, it's organization, it's a lot of the soft skills that go into many jobs. And just being able to synthesize information and present it well and clearly. You know, it's interesting you bring that up, this idea of the art of writing, because in some levels, for people who are interested in creative writing, maybe interested in writing books, the art of writing is is kind of important. How important is that for freelancing? Hmm. Um, the art, I don't think is very important at all. I think it's how you decide what you want to do. You know, I had one, one person I heard of say like, I'm just in it for the money <laughs> and, <laughs> and they weren't an artist. And I'm like, that's fine. I'm an artist who wants to support my artistic practice. And so, but I also really love a lot of the writing I get to do. One of my clients is Kirsten Jordan, who's the first female cast member of Million Dollar Listing. And I learned so much from her and we continue to work together. And she's like my client, but also my mentor in a a lot of ways. And so, you know, it's, even though it's not my art, it's cool. And I love doing the work. So a lot of people listen to this wondering if they could be freelancers. What type of personality traits do you think make for a good freelance writer? 
I think you need to be able to get your own butt in gear. You need to be determined and you need to be willing to learn the principles of business because that's really what I teach people is how to become a creative business owner because that is really what you're doing. And so, you know, you people, we think like, oh, I'm going to be a freelancer, but it's really, I'm going to start a freelancing business. So you have to be willing to approach it with that attitude. Any personality traits that don't work particularly well in this field? Oof. I think people who, if you, it's hard to say because none of us are perfect in these things, but if you're very disorganized, if you have a hard time getting yourself motivated, um, and if you're the kind of person who likes a clear plan, who can't work within uh, uncertainty, it's probably not going to work very well. Let's talk about what a freelancer's life looks like. Because I think that's the other thing is a lot of people don't actually, they can't visualize what making Mm -hmm. a living doing this looks like. Tell me, I guess, what one of your typical days would be and what you think a typical freelance writer's day would be. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what I love about it is that you can build it around your own schedule, right? Like one of my coaching students um, is a mom and she wants to be able to be there to drop off her kids and pick them up from school. And the regular nine to five doesn't support that. So I get up and I write my morning pages, which are three pages of just like free writing. And then I work on my novel for an hour. And then I run one of my writing sessions with my organization, a very important meeting, which is a meditation and writing productivity studio and write during that. And then I kind of start my day, my like work day, And so I do my morning money check-in. I check my QuickBooks, check my bank accounts, (laughs) see what's going on there. Just kind of check in with that, check my email. And then, you know, I have my day scheduled out. I might be meeting with Kirsten Jordan to help her with one of her blog posts and talk to her as she's walking around New York in between appointments. Um, I might be writing for the Stacking Benjamin show, which we're on together. And working on those episodes, I might be writing an article or pitching articles, or um, I might be teaching writing. So, you know, a lot of people, like for me, one thing you might do, so you basically have like your blue chip clients, which are the clients who you can count on them for work. You know, you're going to do X number of pieces for them a week or a month. And that is what like gets you through. So that's part of the risk mitigation and saying, okay, I'm going to do this less risky work. And then I'm going to be spending time doing things like pitching the New York Times, which you never know if that's going to come through, right? But when it does, it's amazing. I am I just got a piece accepted that I've been trying to pitch somewhere all year and just adjusted the angle and got it in. And, um, you know, they pay a dollar a word, so that's really great. And uh, monitoring, you know, the uh, opportunities out there in the world and just building your business the way anyone would. Tell me how you go about pitching, because that, that's something I could see someone who's thinking about this world would be a little bit confused by. Like, mm-hmm. how do you decide what you're interested in? How do you decide how to create a pitch? Do you write the full article or do you just write a pitch that you start sending out? How does that work exactly? Yeah. So a pitch is a sales document and you're transferring your excitement about the story to the editor. And this is the way that it works if you are pitching a magazine or a newspaper. A lot of times more corporate clients will come to you and say, hey, we need a white paper or we need blog posts, things like that. So when I'm pitching a story, I will 
tell them essentially kind of the, um, you know, the argument for why their readers need to read this story. Why is this an incredible story? What makes it unique? Why is it timely? What is, who are the characters in the story and what, like how it will affect their readers? Talk to me about some of the mistakes that beginners make when they're starting to think about pitching. Cause again, I would think that that's, I assume you're new to this. You start pitching. You probably make lots of mistakes. And that's where mm-hmm. people are going to really quit before they kind of taste that for success. So what are yeah. some things people do wrong? I think focusing on what you want and how excited you are about the piece, a very common phrase that I still write and then have to delete is, I'd love to write a story for you about blah. And when it comes to sales, I always say you are dealing with the most selfish person in the world right now, <laughs> right? Um and so focusing on what, how to get them what they want. And then also writing too long of a pitch. Someone wrote somewhere, um, picture the editor riding the subway, holding the rail with one hand and reading your pitch, you know, on their phone with the other. And I was like, wow. Okay. Yeah. I definitely. So it's like, get in there and tell them what's cool. What is the success rate? For a typical pitch. Now, I, obviously, it's right. going to depend on the skill of, yeah. of the writer, but I'm looking at you, Paulette, as a probably pretty, you know, successful, good pitch person. What percent of your stuff gets accepted? Oof. Oh, God, it so depends. Uh, I would say maybe 10% or less. And then that's why I put all my rejections on Instagram so that people <laughs> can see them. <laughs> How many pitches do you typically have going at any given time? I pitch, I try to do last year. My goal was one a week this year. It's going to be three a week. And, um, so, you know, then you have to follow up and that's one of the big things. Another big mistake is not following up. So, um, so yeah, out in the world, probably about 10 to 20 floating around. And what's the general inspiration for these pitches? Is this just something you see in the news you're interested in, or is it something that you already have some knowledge about? How do you decide what to pitch? It's the things that I, I'm really passionate about, the things that I think are unique and the things that can serve people. So the, um, one of the stories I'm working on is a, it's about this rally in Mexico from San Diego to Cabo, San Lucas and back. And I found that by walking by a car and it had all these like external, you know, gas tanks and it just looked like this car had been places and they had a sticker for that rally. And I was like, what is this? Right. And just finding interesting things that most people don't know about that it would be really cool if they knew existed. And that's my style. My style is very featurey. And I always say it's like tugging on the sleeve of the world and saying, oh my gosh, check this out. You know, um, other people are very investigative and that's such important work as well. So it really just goes with what your history, what your style is, and, and then you kind of find your niche. It hits me that you have to be kind of familiar with what the different magazines and journals and the places you're interested in pitching, what typically they have out there. I would assume that you can't just kind of go in blind and put your own style into it. Maybe that's good, but maybe that's bad if it doesn't sound like anything they've had in in context before. Totally. You definitely want to be reading the places that you want to pitch. So someone coming at this new, I imagine they have a lot of questions, which brings us the idea of writers groups, right? We're going to talk about powerhouse writers in a moment and the program that you put together, but how important is building that kind of writers community around you to being successful at this business? 
I was so surprised at how important it is. I would have thought, you know, you're out there by yourself. Everyone else is a competitor. But oh my gosh, for everything from calling a friend and saying, hey, how much would you charge for, you know, four days at South by Southwest doing live copy and, you know, and then your friend calls you and it's like, hey, I have this client. I can't take them on. Do you want them? Um, really just ad- everything from advice to to handing you over work to just really talking through your strategy. I think it's essential. And and there's not a competition problem because in a sense, aren't you guys going after a similar pool of people paying you? Yes, but I think that, you know, technically, yes, but I think there's so much work out there. And it's so important to not become commoditized by branding yourself. So one of my friends is a very, you know, she's like an intense science writer. And so we're absolutely not going after the same work, you know, because there's so many different kinds of work. And yeah, I don't know. I've just, I literally have almost never gotten that sense from someone else. Yeah. You, pe- people aren't kind of elbowing each other out of the way to get the prime jobs or get the prime pieces. Not the kind of people I hang out with, no. We are talking to Paulette Perhatch. She is the creator of the Powerhouse Writers Program. And we are talking about freelancing, whether you can make a living at it or not, and specifically how you would do that. We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. You know what? I love our meals from Factor. My son started getting them about a year ago when he needed a quick alternative to meals on the go. But where we've really enjoyed them is we've been remodeling our kitchen. That's right. We've had no access to our kitchen for the last few weeks. And some nights we just had no idea what to do for a meal. That is where Factor came in. We would just pop the meal in the microwave and two minutes later... We'd have a fantastic meal. You can do the exact same thing, and there's tons of variety. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also, discover more than 60 add-ons every week. These are chef-prepared meals, and let me tell you, they are delicious. No fuss, no mess. You just put it in the microwave, and two minutes later... You have a meal. This is tailored to your schedule. You can customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Head to factormeals.com slash earn50 and use your code earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code earn50 at factormeals.com slash earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. All right, so most of us know the bad news already. If you were using Mint as a budgeting app, it has shut down. But the good news is there's something better, and it's called Monarch Money. I started using Monarch Money myself about five months ago, and I knew immediately that I liked it more than any other budgeting app I had ever used. For one, it focuses on collaboration. This is easy to share with your spouse, your partner, your financial advisor. And it's aspirational. Not only can you look at your current budget, but what do you want to buy? What do you want your goals to be? You can focus on those in Monarch Money. 
It's the next generation of personal finance apps. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Furthermore, you can create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. Again, that's monarchmoney.com slash E-A-R-N. What I like about this app is it's intuitive, easy to use, quick to sign on. It's collaborative, as we talked about. It's customizable. The idea is you can use this app the way you want to use it. And the reason why is the Monarch Money team is customer focused. They are focusing on you, me, and all the other people who want to use this app to live a better financial life. After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. Let me reintroduce you. We are talking to Paulette Perhatch. Her writing has been published in multiple journals and magazines, including the New York Times, Vox, L, and Slate. She's also the writer and author of Welcome to the Writer's Life. And today we are talking about the Powerhouse Writers Program. Paulette, tell us about how you created this program. What was the need and why did you decide to delve into it? So when I became a freelancer, I really was like, is this how everyone's doing it? Everyone has to set up their own system. Everyone has to reinvent the wheel. Everyone has to create these templates. It just seemed like a huge waste to me. And I realized that I love system systems thinking. And so I have created more than 30 templates and created a software for writers to stay organized. And, you know, I just realized that writers need a different kind of organization as well as the systems and the templates and the community to really launch themselves into freelance writing. Who is this program for? Is this for newbies? Is this for people who've already had some success? Who generally gets involved? I do have a mix. It's people who want to level up and really make sure that they're handling every aspect of their freelance writing business. And often during exercises, I'll say, okay, today's the day that you're going to, you know, start your website if you don't have your URL. And if you already have that, then you're going to do this level two activity. So we do have a nice mix. And what type of activities generally are included in the program? What type of things do you do? So we look every week at a certain adjective that describes a successful freelance writer. So things like proactive, in demand, creative, responsible, and what makes someone that, you know, that adjective. So sometimes we'll do things like, okay, we're going to send out five cold emails right now. And I love that we've added to the class some implementation time. It was, we used to meet for 90 minutes. Now we meet for two hours because there is that like, okay, you're going to do it right now. You're doing this right now. You're doing that right now. And so we really just take those steps and send the emails, set things up and, and people put themselves out there during the class, which is feels vulnerable. So it's good to have each other there while they do it. Do you, does everyone meet as one big group or do you have multiple small groups? How does it work? Yeah, we all meet together about every other week over four months. And how long have you been running this program in general? So I did two sessions last year. 
and tell me about the sessions. Like, so does that last six months or four months or how, how does that work? Yeah, it's four months. And so we meet about every other month and then keep in touch in between. And we workshop each other's pitches. And, you know, there's a lot of kind of behind the scenes. Students get my playbook for how I run my business. And then, yeah, we there's definitely the the transformation of I was someone who's interested in this. And now I'm someone who knows they have the tools to make it happen. So brag for us a little bit. Talk about some powerhouse success stories. What has come of some people who've taken powerhouse in the past? So I love to see I've had um, some of my coaching students have been published in Wired, you know, people telling me they're taking on projects they didn't think they could do before people getting their first jobs during powerhouse writers, people saying, you know, I didn't think that I could ever be a writer. And now I'm making a living at it. And I quit my job. Tell me a little bit about the variance of the people who are involved in powerhouse writers. I mean, we tend to think of unearned and invest business writers. And mm-hmm. as you and I talked about, though, there, there are multiple different types of writers that are interested in multiple different types of things. Are there different categories and do they kind of all fit in into the program? Yeah, absolutely. I think people have different reasons for wanting to make money with their writing. So sometimes it can be someone who wants to do it full time and that's all they want to do is kind of the freelance money making work. Other people, you know, kind of just want to get started and support a certain aspect of their life or they want to work part time and they think it'd be a great part time job, which I agree with that. And some people have jobs, but they want to have a side hustle, especially if they're worried about getting laid off. And tell me about the community that's formed around the program. So you do a six-month program. Do people keep in touch? Do you have other forms in which you maintain the kind of group? Yeah. So it's four months, actually. And so we're going to be starting, actually, a mastermind after this Powerhouse Writers um, to have two monthly meetings and kind of an accountability group. And therefore, you can all grow and learn together. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing that I noticed as I was reading about it, is you mentioned the Mission Control Center. What is that Mm -hmm. exactly? So the Writer's Mission Control Center is the spreadsheet I started keeping for myself in 2015, which is now being released as a web app. And we're actually taking our first beta users who are going to be able to get the software for $5 a month forever. And so um, the website for that is writersmissioncontrolcenter.com to track all your assignments and your stories and basically everything about your writing life. I'm interested in this idea, like half of what it sounds like you talk about is how to pitch, how to write, Mm -hmm. how to develop compelling stories, et cetera. But the other half is the business side. I mean, is it a 50-50 split? I mean, do is it the business that people get tripped up on specifically? I think so, for sure. I think not realizing that, oh, I have operations. Mm-hmm. I have accounting, I have marketing to think about. So any kind of any kind of division that a business has, a freelance writer has to think about as well. And I think that is where people get tripped up. They'll say, oh, well, I'm a good writer. It's like, do you have your invoicing in place? All those things. And usually you don't think about it until it trips you up. And specifically, if you're willing to get into this, how much does it cost? What do you charge for the four-month program? So it's $23.75 for the four-month program. And so let's look at what comes next with you. You've been developing this program. This is your second year of running it. How do you think it's going to change in the future? I assume this is something you're going to continue doing. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So, you know, I'm excited about getting more and more to where people have the information in the moment that they need it and designing those systems. And as well with the Writers Mission Control Center, helping people understand and be nudged toward the activities they need to be taking every day to keep their business alive, the networking and the lead generation and things like that to to feed their business proactively, right? And not just sit around waiting for someone to post a job. And are you creating, are you planning in the future to create courses around this above and beyond kind of a writer's group as we're talking about? I think, um, I think this is really what I want to do, the uh, powerhouse writers. So this is really where I want to keep it and just keep honing it and making it better and better. And one last question. You said you're working on three pieces for New York Times. How hard is it to get a piece into the New York Times? I mean, this is something that obviously lots of freelancers are dreaming of. How difficult is it? I've had now, this will be my 12th, 13th, and 14th pieces, I believe, Hmm. in five years for writing for them, five years of writing for them. So it can be really, you know, can be a lot. I email the editors a lot, and but it's really fun when you get to do it. The editors know who you are. Do they know you by now? Once you're pitching someone a bit, yeah, that's pitching is networking. And I imagine like, So for the 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th, I imagine you've pitched them probably at least 100 times to get to this level. Probably, or at least emails, yeah. It's it's interesting because one thing I've learned about writing, and I've done some, I mean, I've submitted some poetry to be published. I've submitted some books to be published, Mm -hmm. et cetera. You got to get fairly comfortable with rejection. Oh, so comfortable with rejection. Yeah. That's why I post all my rejections on Instagram because I want people to see how constant it is. How much time do you spend during the Powerhouse Writers Program talking about rejection? You know, not that much because it's not that interesting. It's part <laughs> of it, deal with it, let's move on. Yeah, it's kind of this idea <laughs> that you just accept it and yeah. it's not worth a lot of time, right? No, yeah, it's out of your control, right? You have to focus on the things that are within your control and that's where you focus your energy. And another question just about rejection. How often is a pitch rejected by one editor, but then you find Mm -hmm. it another home without even having to change it much? So this year I had my piece that, so it was rejected three times and then it was picked up by the Huffington Post and it went viral to a million readers. Wow. So you just never know. It's very subjective. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And what does it feel like to have something that goes that viral? Because I know that's what led to to the deal for your first book, right? Is yeah. something went viral? Yes, it feels really um I I love going viral because it's not just like winning an award like one person decided. It's like many people decided to pass your work along. And that is a wonderful compliment to your work. Yeah, and it's, it seems to me, especially in the written world, if something goes viral, it can actually change your career trajectory, mm-hmm. um, which yeah. I don't think, I mean, we all want to go viral, right? It's something most people do, mm-hmm. and it can be exceedingly hard at times, but it could really have an impact on your career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the one I'm here today, probably because of the piece in 2016 that went viral on Women and Money. <laughs> Just wondering what like were you doing before that? Were you so you were not making a living at that point? I was working part time and and freelancing part time. And then that helped me go full time freelance. Why do you think that piece went viral? Um, because so many women know what it's like to be financially abused. 
And do you just feel like people were not talking about that yet? Or was it in the way you brought up the topic? I think it was the emotional, I think it was the artistry of studying creative writing for years and years and applying that artistry and the emotional impetus to the intellectual argument about saving money. How much of going viral do you think you can manipulate to get to that point? Or how much of it is just kind of do something you're passionate about and hope? 10%. If you follow the principles of Chip and Dan Heath's made the stick, that gets you far. But Got you it. cannot control it. If I could control it, I would be doing it all the time. I've done it twice in my career. <laughs> Did you know with either of those pieces, like were either of these pieces you're like, oh, this could do it? Or was it a complete surprise? I thought the second one would be accepted by Modern Love in the New York Times. I thought it was like, this is my Modern Love piece. Like, I was like, I think this is, I think it will get accepted. I felt confident, although it's very, there's a lot of really good writers. And so it's very competitive. So it wasn't like this is a shoo-in, but I was like, I think this is, this piece really has a chance. Um, But I did not know if it would go viral or not. Right. And the just, first one, absolutely not. Just getting accepted in a big place doesn't mean that people will love it or comment on it or pass totally. it on. I had another piece that I was like, this piece is going to go. I think this piece might go viral. And it was like crickets. <laughs> 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 so that's also important to know. <laughs> yeah. you. I mean, you were talking about vulnerability and it's it's um, you've got to really get used to that if you want to be in yeah. this field. Because, again, there's so many different places. So first you have to do your pitch and your pitch may or may not get uh, accepted. Yeah. Then you have to write the article and I'm sure the editor may come back and say, well, I thought this was something, but it isn't, or it needs major changes. Oh yeah. Not only that, but then it gets published and you kind of have to want to hope that people read it and like it and make it worthwhile for the editor so that the next time you pitch them, I mean, there's all of these places in which you can kind of fall into that vulnerability trap. Yeah. And I think you kind of, and like, that was the thing about going vulnerable the second time is like, it was about a breakup that was like really painful and like, pretty embarrassing what went down and very vulnerable. And I think that the second piece was just like vulnerability hangover. I felt really, I kept, I kept catching myself clenching my teeth in a way I'd never had before in my life. I was like, Oh my God, I'm just like, suddenly it just, I would release my jaw and realize mm -hmm. that my jaw was like very tightly clenched. So it was like a really vulnerable experience. And, you know, but I mean, Cheryl Strayed messaged me on Twitter and was like, the piece was beautiful. I was like, holy crap. Okay, great. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it, it's amazing, too, with today's social media world, how how quickly, right, something you create can get out there and how accessible you or even famous people are once yeah. you're out there. And, you know. I finished you know. someone's memoir this morning listening to the audiobook and sent him a voice recording on Instagram about how much I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, this is really cool that I can, in the moment I just finished your book, send you a recording of this moment for me. I was crying. It was so good. I haven't cried at the end of a book like that in a long time. Did anything bad come from that vulnerability of those two viral articles? Was there anything you were like, I didn't foresee this and, and maybe, maybe this wasn't the best. No, but I could have gotten sued for the second one, but I, he would not have had a leg to stand on. But the editor did tell me we had about five conversations about <laughs> being sued for libel, um, yeah. especially in the wake of, you know, the like um, Johnny Depp case. And, but I, you know, I had a witness to the fact that I was not lying. So that was good. 
<laughs> but no, nothing. Um, no. Yeah. And that's not always the case. Like some negative things can come out of it. If anything, the negative thing that I found was like, no matter how viral you go, it does, no matter how much social capital you get because of your art, it does not relate to financial capital unless you capitalize on it. That was a real rough lesson. Give give more detail on that. I literally was the year after Fuck Off Fund came out. I remember I was going to my grad student residency and I literally had brought like cans of food till I try to save money and not go out to eat. And someone showed me that at the Cannes Film Festival, (laughs) there was a billboard that said, in the future, every woman will have a fuck off fund from Condé Nast. And they said, please tell me they got your permission. And I was like, nope, they didn't. Like your ideas can take off and go around the world and you can be stuck at home eating from a can. Was there a fundamental moment where you're like, I did this wrong and I should have had more control over this such that I capitalized? Uh, Knowing what I know, you know, I could have made an entire career out of being the F off fund woman and Mm. that, which is not a bad career, but it just wasn't me. Like I knew I would still have been like, well, I really wanted to be a writer, you know, but I could see, you know, one of these personal finance brands being like, all we do is help women gain their F off fund. I mean, that would be huge. Um, but that's kind of the only thing I could have done or, you know, maybe have a clause in my contracts where if it does go viral, I get a certain percentage for every tens of thousands of eyeballs. Well, Paulette, I wanted to thank you for being on today. I feel like when it comes to how to become a writer or a freelance writer, it's quite a black box for most people. Mm-hmm. They love the idea of doing it. They love the t- idea of spending their time writing about something they're passionate about and having control of their day-to-day activities. On the other hand, it's just like anything else until you know how exactly to do it, you don't know where to start. So it's mm-hmm. interesting hearing about the Powerhouse Writers Program because it sounds like for a lot of people who are in that phase of knowing they're interested in it, but not knowing where to go next, uh, this could be a good first step. I want to end this episode the way and every end every episode by asking you what is up next in your life and how can people reach out? So specifically, what's coming up next in your life? Yeah, I am working on three articles right now for the New York Times, which is so exciting, um, and teaching a magazine and feature writing at the University of Florida. I'm getting ready to go down to Mexico to report that story and getting ready to start Powerhouse Writer. So always exciting to to meet the next crew of writers. When is the next program? When do people have to sign up by? Because I know it's coming up yeah, fairly it starts soon. Yeah, January 24th. January 24th. And they can go to powerhousewriters.com or what's the what's the That's best correct. way to reach yeah. you? Powerhousewriters.com. This has been the Earn and Invest Podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, I'd like to thank Paulette Perhatch. That's a wrap. Earn and Invest is now part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to this show as well as other fine podcasts. I'm going to take a lot of that second conversation we had and probably mix it in a little bit earlier because okay. um, I think it's a fun conversation. I think it'll go well in the middle. Um, anything we didn't talk about specifically about uh, powerhouse writers or freelance in general that you'd want people to know? Because I'm going to no. still record this part too. Yeah. No, I think we're good. Yeah. Thanks good. so much for having me, Dr. It was good. awesome. Yeah. No, no, no. It's really cool. And I, I, I do think people 
really are curious about mm-hmm. how to take the next step. And like you said, you know, there's the people who want to do it for a living, but I think there are also a lot of people who want it as a side hustle. They're like, I really am now engaged yeah. in either finance or I'm really engaged in something. I've got a, some proclivity to writing um, and now I have some time on my hands because I'm pulling back from the other things I'm doing. And this could be something that they could do. And I know there are a lot of people in our community who who are very successful doing this, or at least it fulfills their needs, whether it's a full-time job or a side hustle or or something that kind of brings them joy. Absolutely. Totally agree. The closest I ever came is when I was medical blogging back in about 2013, 2014. Um, A uh, website called The Medical Bag paid me $500 uh, a blog post. That's great. For two blog posts a month. Um, And I did that for about a year, but that was (laughs) it. (laughs) As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. The corporate world is like the ocean. It's alluring, but it's also full of deadly creatures that can shred you to pieces. It becomes kind of like a Game of Thrones political arena where everyone's trying to murder you to get your job. My family doesn't come from corporate backgrounds, so I didn't have any sort of guidance in that. This is not your typical work podcast. Sometimes you need to be empathetic. And then there are times that you ask for input, but you don't really give a shit. <laughs> Listen to the Ambie Award-nominated podcast, Surfing Corporate. <laughs> Stretch opportunity. What is a yoga class? Get out of here. <laughs> 